welcome everybody. I know that uh, we're all continuing to talk and connect and that's great. And um, we're so thankful that we have a church where people are warm and talking to one another rather than like, you know, little like, don't talk to me. So uh, we're so glad that each of you are here. Um, and we are going to start a brand new series this week. And let me kind of share a little bit of kind of where I came, you know, kind of came to this series is that, um, you know, I have to confess last week, uh, was a great Sunday morning. Enjoyed being with you all and everything. Uh, but it was a rough Sunday evening uh, because the 49ers lost. And so, um, I don't know. Yeah, thank you. It's not sympathy, not cheering. Jeez. I thought we were a nice, warm church. Uh, no, but, you know, it's one of those where if you guys watched the game, maybe you didn't, but the 49ers were doing pretty well. I mean, they uh, were coming into the fourth quarter, and they uh, were winning by 10, and I was like, okay, like, we only have to hold out for a little bit longer. And, you know, then what happened in the fourth quarter is, you know, they collapsed, and it was one of those where you're like, uh, what's that? <laughs> That hurts my heart, you know what I'm saying? No, um, it's, it's true, but here's the thing. When you're this close to it, second place feels really bad, right? Because they were so close, and they collapsed at the end of the quarter. And, you know, I've been like, you know, I've been like sad about it. Not like weeping and like mourning, but I've been lamenting. Like it was so close, and it almost happened, right? And so I thought, since this is kind of where I've been, uh, that it might be nice for us to go through uh, the book of Lamentations and talk about a series called Collapse, which is like really aptly named for the 49ers' existence. So um, turn your Bible. No, guys, I'm just kidding. We're not doing that. Um, I'm not going to let a football score dictate uh, my sermon unless... I need to. So uh, our actual series is called One Small Step. And what I was thinking for real this time, like that's the most deceptive I will be to you is just is to do that. What I was thinking for real this time is how we just got through a series of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs can feel very black and white. It can feel very like you're either the wise or you're the foolish. You're either um, diligent or you're a sluggard. And it can feel this dynamic of kind of we get discouraged with ourselves and, and there's a godly calling us up to that, to a higher level. But there are also times in which we feel, oh man, like where am I in my journey? And that can be a weight to that. And so what I wanted to do is take the next five weeks, including this morning, and to look at the story, the life of Peter, the apostle, Simon Peter, because no matter where we are in our journey with God, we're going to, we're going to see over the next five weeks, how Peter took different small steps in his life, and sometimes it was a step into what God had for him. Maybe it was a stepping out into faith. Maybe it was a stepping backward or a misstep when we fall short. Maybe it's stepping forward in the midst of our trials and difficulties, but still trusting God. Or maybe it's stepping up to fulfill the calling and speak and share as he did at Pentecost. I mean, we're going to look at these different steps that he took. But for all of us, we will be able to find ourselves in our story and Peter's story. So instead of a black and white, everything is either this or that way, which can be true. The next few weeks, we're going to look at a nuanced character that was not black and white, that he had pluses and minuses and pros and cons and good moments and bad moments because that's life. And because he's a real person, he's not like a character in a story that was made up. He was a real person that lived a real life that had a real impact that we can all really learn from. 
And so as we do that this morning, we're going to talk about how for all of us, whether you've known, you've never known Jesus before and and you're just kind of barely getting started, but you're interested, or whether you've known him for years and years and maybe decades upon decades, all of us can take one small step closer to Christ today. We can learn a little bit more, worship a little more, dive a little bit deeper. I mean, all of us can take one small step. So what will be those steps for you and for me as we learn from the story of Peter and we apply it to the story of our lives as well? Will you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you for who you are and we thank you uh, for the opportunity to... um, Be here together. I thank you for each person that walked into this room and each person that is listening online later. Every person who hears my voice, Lord, is someone who's loved by you, someone that was created by you, someone that Jesus died for, and someone that you, Holy Spirit, would want to take one step closer to God today. So God, as we dive into your words, I pray that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 5, Luke chapter 5 today. Um, But before we do, the title of this sermon is the idea of stepping in. So again, stepping in, stepping out, we're going to talk about different directions we walk in our faith. Today's about stepping in because There are moments in our lives when we know that we're about to step into something that will change everything. One such example for me was when um, Steph and I, uh, we graduated from college um, in May of 2006, and there was a six-week break between our graduation date and our wedding date. And so I stayed with a friend for six weeks. She moved into the apartment that would become our apartment, and she stayed with a friend uh, as well for those uh, six weeks. And so it kind of become like her place before it was like my place yet. And so uh, her and her friend lived there. We get married on June 25th. We go on our um, uh, honeymoon in Hawaii for about five days or so. And we come back and we, you know, we had a friend pick us up from LAX, dropped us off in the evening. And so we kind of get our baggage into the door and Steph looks to her friend and says like, you know, thank you, like good night, goodbye. And, you know, says goodbye to her. And then she looks to me and says, thank you, good night, goodbye. And I was like, I'm like, don't I get to stay? Like, I thought we were married. And, but it's this idea, it was right before, you know, it was we're just in, at the door of our new life together. And, and stepping into that door, I'd visited her before in the apartment, right? But now it was our place. And this was our life together. And there are times when you step in and you know that that step is going to change everything. Maybe for some of you, it was stepping in to an office that you had moved, you moved your family to in order to take this job and you just knew things were different. Maybe for you, it was stepping into an airplane to go far away or stepping into the car to drive far away to, to start your walk or start your life apart from your family of origin. Maybe for some of you, it was stepping into a new classroom and trying to figure out how to navigate school for stepping into a new school and how to navigate your degree. Maybe it was stepping into a new relationship. Maybe it's stepping into a new career. Maybe for some of you, you're still on that precipice of deciding what it looks like to step into a relationship with God and not one that is not one that is kind of superficial. And I'm not calling anyone here superficial, but I am saying that there are times in which we, we step into a relationship with God, but then we kind of expect God to just kind of bless what we're doing 
rather than to see what he's doing and how he'll bless us in a right relationship with him. We, we sometimes want to add him to our already busy lives rather than turning aside from the busyness and ask him to change us and for him to be busy doing a work in and through us. There are times in which we just want to add Jesus to the buffet of our lives rather than recognize he's a whole new way of life. Our main point today, if you're new with us, we do main points, fill-ins. There's no pressure to do that. Uh, But if you would like to, the main point we have today is that when Jesus steps into our lives, he calls us to step into a new way of life. It's not an addition to our current way of living. It's a brand new life. And if we're willing to take the steps of faith and move forward trusting him, we will see that it's not just a new way of life. It's a better way of life because it's his way for us. We're going to be in Luke chapter 5, as I mentioned. And inside your notes, the top uh, the line talks about when Jesus steps into our lives. Because we're going to see how before Peter stepped into following Jesus, Jesus stepped into Peter's boat. He stepped into his world. He stepped into his home in order to heal his mother-in-law. So your notes there say this. Often, we're more open to Jesus working in our lives after we've seen him work in the lives of those we are close to. See, Luke 5 is the the moment in which Jesus calls Peter and the other disciples who are fishermen, those disciples. But it's not the first time that Simon Peter is mentioned in the Gospel of Luke. And for that, we're going to turn the page, just one page back, into Luke chapter 4, verse 38 and 39. It says, Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. This is Simon Peter. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. That Peter saw what Jesus had done in his mother-in-law's life. That she was sick with fever, and she went from being sick and needing to be healed to out of that healing, wanting to serve others around them. But that's a picture for us when it comes to our walk with God, that when we've been healed, what might bubble within us is the idea of the importance of serving those around us to share the impact of what Jesus has done in our lives. And so Simon Peter was someone who saw Jesus work in his mother-in-law's life and saw the impact. And so that sets the story of what it looks like of how he's able to take some steps of faith that we see in Luke 5. But we'd be remiss if we did not stop here for a moment and say two things. One, one of us, we we can probably think back upon the person whose life God worked in and it impacted us. Maybe you grew up in the faith and so is your parents and they, they really lived it out in a beautiful way. And so they knew, you knew what it was like to follow God. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe home wasn't a safe place for you. But you had friends or friends' parents. You had um, teachers or you had a youth pastor, a children's pastor, or you had just mentors or people pouring into you that you saw their lives and you said, you're going through hard times, but something is different about you. And because God was working in their lives, you might be more receptive and open to how God might want to work in yours. So one, we want to thank God for the people he surrounded us with who help us to be open to what God would want to do in our lives. But then two, the second thing is that we would be remiss if we didn't emphasize the need for all of us 
to be that person who we share what God has done in our lives to those around us. Because if God is working in our lives and we've been impacted when he works in others, who are the people around you, around me, that if they knew what God has done in your life, that they might be more open to hearing what he would want to do in theirs. And, and we don't want to hide our testimony under a bushel basket. We don't want to be a light in a dark place, but not too bright so we don't like, you know, hurt people. Like we want to be able to be loving and kind, but we want to do so in a way that is sharing what God has done. It's a story of the demon-possessed man in Mark 5 in which he was possessed and he's healed and he wants to go to Decapolis with Jesus to be the, you know, to be a missionary and to go and be one of his apostles. But what Jesus says is, no, you got to reach the people around you. And this is a guy who just came to know the Lord and just had, you know, didn't know anything about theology or what's going on. He just knew he once was enslaved by this demon possession and now he's been set free and Jesus is the one who made it happen. And so he doesn't know all the right answers, but he's, but what does Jesus say? He says, listen, go to the people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. He doesn't say have a list of all the apologetic answers, although those are good tools. He doesn't say have all the answers to every question someone might ask before you start sharing, because then we'll never fully do it because we'll never learn everything. He doesn't say you have to be perfectly ready beyond the fact that Jesus has changed our lives. And when Jesus has changed our lives and people around the city know you were the demon possessed guy with the, you know, the grave and like the chains, right? Yes, I am. What happened to you? Well, it wasn't a what, it was a who, it was Jesus. You want to know more about him? Let me tell you what he's done for me. We don't have to be perfect apologists or perfect um, people who know all the answers, but we can point people to the one who does. And so are we willing to say, okay, here's what God has done so that the people around us, maybe it's extended family, maybe it's siblings, maybe it's um, coworkers, maybe it's neighbors will be like, you've had a rough time. Or, and God's doing something. You, what, what's it, what is that? Or, God, some, something's good about me. What's going on in your life? Let me tell you what the Lord has done for me. What would it look like if all of us were just open to being willing to share what God has done? Not an overwhelming way, but saying, here's what God has done in my life. How many more people would be open to seeing how he might want to work in their lives as well? Let's start reading. Uh, that's the context. It's the background. Let's start reading verses one and two from Luke five. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, context, Gennesaret is a portion of the Sea of Galilee. So Sea of Galilee is referenced in different passages. Uh, lake Gennesaret was a portion of it, one of the shores of it. So it's the same place. The people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. Where did the crowd come from? We see in the rest of Luke four that at sunset in verse 40, People just started bringing their sick people to Jesus. They started bringing demon-possessed people to Jesus, and he was healing them. And God did, Jesus did a big work, and then he would teach them. He would prove the authority that he had over sickness, over demon possession, over the elements of feeding. The like, he would feed and do things first, and then he would explain who he is. So, the crowd had seen that in Luke 40, and so they say, hey, stay, stay, be a part of our lives, keep us, be, keep blessing us. And he says, I gotta go and I gotta preach the kingdom of God to others around. But they still follow him, and people had heard about him. And so the crowd follows, and they wanna hear what it is that he has to say. 
it reminds us of the importance of the one-on-one impact we have, how Peter can be impacted by his mother-in-law and how Peter can have an impact on one-on-one. It also reminds us of why there are times that we will have services here, like Christmas Eve specifically or uh, Easter specifically, that as people who know and have walked with Jesus for years, it may not feel like it's specifically designed for us. But it's because we know that people who don't know Jesus might want to be part of a crowd. And they'll go from being part of the crowd to being part of the committed who want to find out more about him. And they'll move from being committed to being called. So there are times in which the crowds are important because Jesus is going to be able to teach them who he is, reveal it through miracles, and have an impact in their lives. Verse 2. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. So in the same way that after a fire is being fought, firemen have to dry out the hoses, make sure that they're ready for the next day or the next call, that fishermen, they have these huge, what they're called, trammel nets. Picture um, a net that you would use for a pool to clean up any, like, um, any leaves or debris that would fall into a pool and how it's kind of this net that you just kind of sweep alongside and all the debris just kind of comes into it and you lift it out. These are, this is the picture of a, on a much smaller scale of the pool, but a bigger scale is those are the kind of nets, the trammel nets that would just kind of be sweeping under the water and would catch fish. And so they're doing that and they're washing those nets at the end of the night. And it's this picture of um, sometimes at the end of a long day, or the end of a busy season, or in the midst of the humdrum of going about our daily lives, there are times in which God wants to do something big. And there are times where we might miss it because we're too busy washing our nets. Too busy thinking, oh, it's been a long day. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to spend time with God. I don't want to do this stuff. And we look here, and it reminded me of this story. Have any of you, just a show of hands, I know I've asked this before, but humor me. How many of you have ever worked inside of a restaurant, like a food server uh, for a restaurant, specifically like a sit-down restaurant where they, you have to wait tables? Okay, so with that said, real quick, not connected to the sermon at all. If that's you, have you ever had like stress dreams when you got like sat like three different tables at once and like had to get them all drinks at one time and it, no, just me, okay, that's fine. First service, there were other people and I'm like, yes, so anyways. Macaroni Grill. I worked at a Macaroni Grill for about a year, and I was a server there. And I remember one night specifically in which, I think it was a Saturday, so I think we closed about 10 o'clock at night. And it was 9.50, And a woman walks up, and I wasn't closing that night. I was working on my side work. So it's kind of like washing nets. I'm making sure that, you know, either the salt and the pepper shakers are filled, or making sure the sugar's uh, fully there, or wiping down the ketchup. I mean, whatever it is that different side work servers would have so that the restaurant would be ready for the next day. And so I'm there doing my side work and uh, someone walks in and says, you know, are you guys open? And it's like, technically, yes, because we technically close at 10 and technically 9.50 comes before 10. But when it's a sit down restaurant and you have someone who comes at 9.50, there's no way they're getting in and out in 10 minutes, right? And so the server who was closing that night wasn't me, someone else like, yeah, you know, we are. The woman says, guys, they're open and 10 people walk into the room. It was the end of the shift. They were closing down, and all of a sudden, the cooks are like, we're going to be here for another 30 minutes. The server's like, I'm going to be here another hour. And all the side work, you know, some of it would still need to be done. And it became this moment where it was the end of a long day. And imagine, just imagine, what if 
What if I was the one that was able to be that server? And what if by somehow God's omnipotence and ability to work things, what if it was something where, you know, I'm able to share about what God had done in my life to them? What, what would it look like if when we're exhausted and we feel like we're just tired and we need to wash our nets, that we're willing to still reach out to people, share with people, step out in faith? Now, I wasn't closing, so I was like, good luck, I'm out of here, you know, so... But there's this idea of God may want to do something when we feel like we're at the end of our limits, but sometimes just that extra layer of not workaholism, I'm not saying that, but that extra layer of being available and engaged to what God might be doing has an opportunity to have an impact. So Peter steps out and he's been exhausted and here's how the story continues. I'm sorry, the next point and then I'll go to the story. When Jesus steps into our lives, in your notes, we need to step aside in obedience so he can reveal who he is. That stepping in includes a stepping aside. Because again, as we said in verse uh, earlier, before Peter steps into his calling and steps into his relationship with God, Jesus stepped into his boat. Maybe Jesus has stepped into your life and you don't even follow him yet. You're not, you don't even know if you believe in him yet, but there's been, there have been people who've impacted you. There have been stories that you've really seen. You've maybe come to a service or two and there's something that resonates with you. So you come back. And so before Peter was able to step into the calling, Jesus was stepping into his life in his livelihood and in his world. Verse three and four. So Jesus got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. It's one of those things where sitting in a boat, uh, the water, the acoustics of the water allow the voice to be magnified and easier to hear. So it was partially to separate from the crowd and partially so that he could be better heard by the crowd as well. And so he speaks sitting. Sitting is the... Um, the traditional uh, teaching position for rabbis, and so being able to sit down and just be able to share what's going on and who Jesus is. Verse four, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. You know, in verse four, I'm gonna quote Warren Wearsby here. He talks about this. It's not on the screen, so just hear it. It says that it was a well-known fact that in the Sea of Galilee, you caught fish at night in the shallow water. So Peter's a professional. This is his job. This is who he is, what he does. And he knows that you don't fish in the, morning, in the daytime. You don't fish in the deep water. You just use those tremble nets to kind of skim from the shallow water at night and be able to catch whatever you can catch. And so he's Warren Wearsby continues on. What Jesus asked Peter to do was contrary to all of Peter's training and experience. But Peter obeyed. The key was his faith in the word of God. As verse five says, nevertheless, at your word, God. See, verse five again says, Simon answered, master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, or in this translation, at your word, I will let down the nets. Warren Wearsby on the screen, he continues this thought. He says, Peter was willing to submit to the authority of Jesus, even though he did not understand all that the Lord was doing. And remember, a great crowd was watching from the shore. And I love that he 
Warden Wiersbe includes that last line, a great crowd was watching from the shore because there are times I've experienced and I imagine you've experienced when God might be calling us to do something, to, to share a word with someone of love and encouragement, to, to share the gospel and the power of Jesus or to step out in faith to do something. But we say, but God, there's a crowd here. And one, what if I don't know what I'm doing and I fail? Two, what if I look foolish and it doesn't happen the way that we, I want it to, and so that it makes you look bad. And so we allow, often, not always, we often allow crowds to stop us from doing the thing we're called to do. And so Warren Wearsby pulls this out and says, listen, Peter knew what he was doing. This was his job. Peter saw that there was a crowd there, and yet Jesus called him to do something that was the opposite of the worldly wisdom. And if it failed, Peter could have looked foolish. And Jesus could have looked foolish too. And I just wonder, there's not a show of hands, but I just wonder, uh, how many of you have ever embarrassed yourself in front of a crowd? And uh, I don't want you, you don't have to raise your hands because then you might be embarrassed in front of a crowd and that's like, you know, self-fulfilling cycle. Uh, but I want to share a story with you about one of my most embarrassing moments. Um, and I need to give you some context for it. So the context is, uh, Shaylin had been born November 27, 2011, and less than a month, about three weeks later, our church was having our Christmas program, and we rented out uh, Azusa Pacific University's gym. So this is a large, large church. We're expecting you know, thousands of people to come over this two-day uh, event, and I had a part in it. I was asked to be a part of it, to write a spoken word uh, and to perform it in front of everybody. And this was like, there were performances and singing and stuff, but this was like the gospel moment of this event. And so a lot is riding on it. And it's one of those where I was exhausted and I'd written it. And so during like midnight feedings uh, for Shaylin, I'd be like washing bottles and things like that or whatever it is. And I would just be like reciting it. Cause I'm like, if I can remember it at 3am, I'll be able to remember it, you know, forever. And so I'm just memorizing, memorizing it. And so what I want to do is I want to show you a video of the context of what happened. So uh, you're going to see that we're inside this huge gym. You're going to see that I'm placed right in the center of it all. And you're going to see the spotlight. And I'm just going to show you the first minute and a half of this video. Uh, the video itself goes on for about another minute and a half as well. But I just want to give you the context so I can share uh, my, my embarrassing story. So will you watch uh, this clip for the next minute and a half together? Oh, Christmas lights, oh, Christmas lights keep shining on as we drive through our streets listening to Christmas songs. We pass them without thought because we've got Christmas all wrong. We focus more on buying presents than the presence of God's son. See, the first Christmas light could not have been stranger. It came to shepherds in fields, keeping their flocks from danger. It was the glory of God speaking through an angel, proclaiming that the hope of the world was born in a manger. And shortly thereafter, there was another light in the sky. It was a star pointing wise men to where the Savior did lie. And when they came to him, their one and only reply was to bow down and worship and place gifts at his side. And soon, the sound of hope started to resonate throughout the land. It came to the lost, the sick, and the socially banned. It was the good news that a new kingdom was at hand. The kingdom of God brought by Jesus, son of God and of man. 
And when they took him off that cross that was stained crimson, they put him behind a stone and thought it would imprison. But on the third day, the light of the angel did glisten, saying, listen, he is not here, he is risen. So it goes on for another minute and a half there, but I just wanted to give you the context. You saw in the middle of the, the, the um, floor, you saw the f- spotlight. What you couldn't quite tell, or maybe you could tell, because when I was standing there, everybody who was sitting there was facing the front as well, so I'm facing the front of the room. And so I'm ready for the very first night, and I go up, and as I do, I start talking. I'm looking at the congregation like I'm looking at you now, and then all of a sudden, I see this picture, a close-up of my face that I don't even get a view of on like a 30-foot screen, like this huge screen. And guys, I froze. I forgot my lines. They weren't written anywhere else, uh, only on like the tablet of my heart, but like they weren't written anywhere else. And so all of a sudden, I stand there in the middle of nowhere, and I'm like, Merry Christmas. You know, like that's what I wanted to do because I couldn't remember my lines. And when you are in a crowd and you forget something or you embarrass yourself, three seconds feels like three lifetimes. And I'm just sitting there and thank God Almighty that he helped me to get back in rhythm and start being able to share the rest of it. And but God, it's, it was so embarrassing. And I'm so glad they gave like me the edited version, not the one that had the mess up on it. But I was so embarrassed and I felt this big the rest of the night. So I'm like, this was the gospel moment. And I messed it up. And imagine, imagine if because I messed up that time, I never went in front of a crowd again. Imagine if the fear of seeing a crowd and not wanting to step out and being afraid of failure. Imagine if that stopped me or stops you or stops us from ever being willing to risk again. We're afraid of what the crowd might think, but what the Lord might think is more important. And we mess up. And we're able to still point to a God who loves mess ups. And that's the power of the gospel. And so in verse five, when, when Jesus, Peter says, Master, we've been, we've been fishing all night. I don't know how to tell you this, but you don't know how to fish. Uh, but because you say so, God, because you say so, teacher, master, I'll do it. And this word master is one that, you know, it, it involves or implies a lot of authority. And so one of the commentaries I read talks about how when he said, calls him master, he's no, not just referring to him as, you know, master who's a generally good teacher. He's transferring the authority of his boat into Jesus's hands. That he's now saying, you are the master of my boat. I'm the one who knows what I'm doing, but you, you know, I have the skills, I have the experience. I entrust it to you. You tell me what to do. Have you, have I, have we transferred the authority of our school, our work, our lives to the master? Are there still things we're holding on to? Are there still things we're holding back? Are we, are we trying to say, God, I want you to come into the boat and bless me and give me all the benefits of a life with you, but don't tell me to go anywhere I don't want to go. Don't tell me to live any way I don't want to live, and don't tell me to do anything that's uncomfortable in front of a crowd. Are we just saying, God, give me the blessing without us learning that the blessing comes at the end of sacrifice and obedience? Do we want the benefits of God? 
without being willing to walk with him. As Paul says in Philippians 3, do we want to just have fellowship with his resurrection without recognizing the suffering and the sacrifice of the cross that came before it? See, we see what would have happened if Peter was like, God, I'm, Jesus, I'm too tired. I'm too tired to receive what you have for me. I've been working all night. I'm exhausted. I'm not going to transfer authority in my life to you. His life would have been missed out on what God had for him. The lives of the disciples would have stayed fishermen. The lives of the crowd would have been like, oh, it seemed kind of weird. So they're having a conversation. Nothing came of it. That when we're willing to engage to do what God calls us, even when we're tired, lives can be impacted forever. That our momentary tiredness, if we push through it, and again, not in an unhealthy workaholism way, but if we're able to push through to the end of our limits, that we decrease and that God increases, then that momentary weakness or tiredness can have an everlasting glory for those around us. Verse 6 and 7. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. See, God worked in an incredible way. There's an incredible catch of fish and the net starts to break. It shows just how heavy it is that both boats start to sink from the overwhelming catch that happened here. And it's amazing because sometimes in our lives, when we first start walking with Jesus, we experience blessings in a way that's maybe different than as we continue to grow. And, and what I mean is we're so much more aware of it. And it's almost like Jesus saying, listen, follow me. And I'll be able to bless you, but guess what? I'll show you that the way I'm blessing you now pales in comparison to the life that is a blessing I have for you later. And he points them to the fact of here's this incredible catch and here's the moment in Peter's life that he can decide, he needs to decide what to do. So we have the idea of when Jesus steps into our lives, but in the next part of your notes, what's our call to step into this new life? It's not just adding Jesus to our boat and saying, give us all the fish. What does it look like to have a whole new way of life to be fishers of men and women? In your notes, once we experience who Jesus is, it changes our perspective on who we are and what we do. That through the miracle of his mother-in-law being healed, through the miracle of the exorcisms of the demon-possessed people the day before, through the miracle of this miraculous catch of fish, Peter recognizes that this is not just a good teacher. That again, miracles are so often linked with teaching so that the power of God's words will be shown through his authority over miracles or over things that seem um, that wouldn't happen unless God was doing something. It's both of those combined that shows who God is. And in the same way that in Isaiah 6, when Isaiah sees who God truly is in the throne room, he says, woe to me, I am undone, I am unglued, I am a sinful man, I, I shouldn't even be in your presence. In the same way Peter says, go away from me, God. Verse 8, he says, 
When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Because when we see who Jesus truly is, then it shows us how stark of a contrast we truly are. Not that we're not loved, but because we are broken, he still loves us. And he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. As David prayed earlier, that we go from sinfulness to righteousness, not because of anything that we've done so that no one can boast, but because of Jesus Christ and believing in him, confessing and giving our lives over to him. And so we see how Jesus's miracles and teaching change the perspective in Peter's life. It's no longer Peter thinking, oh my goodness, I can do this on my own. Oh my goodness, I'm the one who knows I'm in charge of my own life. It's up to how hard I work and how much fish I get or how good of a businessman I am that I'm able to survive or whatever it is. No, no, no. He says, listen, I now know this is more than about how much fish I've caught you're the son of God, you're the Messiah, you're Lord. And so I, I, I can't be in your presence anymore. You are too holy and too good to interact with me. And then it shows how the catch of fish, what, that's what Peter did, and yet what he did paled in comparison to what Jesus did and who Jesus is. We see here this word sinner, and Joel Green, a commentator, says it this way, that Luke uses the term sinner to indicate people who either recognize themselves in need of divine redemption or those who are ostracized by others and so stand in the greatest need of, grac of gracious intervention. What, what does that boil down to? When Peter uses the word sinner, he recognizes that he's in need. He recognizes that he's in need because either people have ostracized him or because he recognizes that only God can help him. So we need to acknowledge how we are sinners before we can embrace that Jesus died for our sin. The longer we think that our good hard work and our abilities to do things on our own, the longer we think that will be enough to save us, the longer we're going to hold on to our self um, self-fulfillment, our self-ability to, to provide, and the longer we're going to hold on to the nets, even if they start to break. And so why is this important for us? Because when he uses the word sinner, it's not just stay away from me, God, I do bad things. That sinfulness goes beyond just doing bad things or not doing good things. It talks about how we're not just going to, he's not just avoiding sin. And it's not just that, okay, I'm going to try to only do good stuff. It reveals that like Peter, we only truly understand who Jesus is when we truly understand how much we need him. And in Luke, when Jesus gives the parable of the, the man who um, is a Pharisee, and he says, Lord, I fast two days a week, and I give a tithe, and I do all these good things, and God, I am so thankful that I'm not like that person. And then this man just says, Lord, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. Jesus says that this is the one who's got to, who got it right. It's when we acknowledge who we are compared to who he is and that what we do pales in comparison to what he's done on the cross. Lastly, 
Answering the call to a new life means stepping away from our old life. That stepping in means a stepping aside to say, Jesus, you're the master of my life. Now you're the master of this boat. I transfer all authority over to you. You do with me what you will and take me where you want me to go and I'll have the courage to follow it. But it's also not just a stepping aside to let Jesus take the, the lead in our lives. It's also to step away from how we used to live and to walk away. Think about this. Peter, and this moment, verse 9 says this. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the son of Zebedee, who were Simon's partners. They had just hit the jackpot. They had just had a catch of fish that, one, would allow them to be able to, to make a ton of money. He, he maybe thought, okay, if I could just keep Jesus with me in my boat, I will catch all of the fishes all the time, and all my competitors will be put out of business. I'll be the one to make all the money. Uh, my business will thrive. It'll all about be about me. In fact, you know, I'm going to take a picture and post it online about how Jesus checked in at my place on his Yelp review and how he gave just a great review. And so all of a sudden, my, I have my life made now. It's all about me and how I'm going to build my business, my kingdom. He had it made. And yet, none of that having it made ultimately made a difference for him. Because he saw that. He saw the jackpot of the catch of fish and stepped away from that and bowed before Jesus. Said, Lord, I, you need to go away. You don't know the things I've done. You don't know the ways that I've fallen short. You don't know. And that's the beauty of Jesus, is that he does know, and he loves us anyways. And he calls us back home anyways. And so, this idea of verse 10, how does Jesus respond to him? He said, Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. This word, to fish for people, uh, can also be translated in some of your Bibles as to catch people. Sometimes it says you will become fishers of men. But this word to catch is, is a specific term. It's not the idea of fishing in regards. It's almost like a catch and release, if you will. It's the idea of you catch a fish, but you capture it alive. It's not that you capture the fish and like gut it and, you know, whatever. It's this idea of Jesus saying, listen, I'm going to use you to capture people alive. And another translation for it says, or to spare their lives. That I'm not here to just make you fish for men and, and it's going to be great because you have like a little notch on your belt of how many people you've helped. It's the idea of saying, you are going to go and you're going to take these nets and it's not going to be the nets of trammel nets that scoop and sweep here. It's going to be the sweeping power of God's word and miracles matched it and to be able to say, now you are going to capture people alive and you're going to spare their lives and you're going to catch them and release them to share the gospel as well that it becomes a beginning of a movement. To become fishers of men means to be able to show them life and then send them out to share their lives with those around them. And so then, in verse 11, it says, he left everything. The lake was their home, the boats were their livelihood, fishing was their identity, and yet they left everything to follow Jesus. Imagine, if you're in Peter's shoes, and God had given you every success you'd ever hoped for. 
Imagine saying, nope, it doesn't matter to me anymore. Jesus, you are what matters to me now. And all the success that you give me might just be something to catch me and to spare my life so that you have fished me now and now release me, Lord, to fish others and reach to others as well. Peter goes from the crowd who sees what Jesus has done to someone who's close enough to Jesus to be called into his house um, so that Jesus, excuse me, would be called into Peter's house to heal his mother-in-law to someone who's close enough to Jesus to be on the boat. But he goes from the crowd to the called. And now he'll be fishers of men and women. And I remember when Pastor Miles McPherson was preaching in November of 2003, and I had just given my life to the Lord, and he was talking, and I was sitting right over here, and I've shared the story before, but I remember as clearly as I've ever heard the Lord's voice calling me, saying, I want you to do that. And I had moved from the crowd, and God had started to take me on the journey to being called into vocational full-time ministry. But here's the truth. Not all of you in this room, or not all of you listening online, are called a vocational ministry, but all of you are called to ministry. All of you are called to witness. All of you are called to be willing to cast down your nets and to see where God is calling you to go. All of you have been called to do the work that God has put us forth for us to do through Jesus. What is that? To go into the nations and teach people and to baptize them and to follow the commandments and, and to Know that Jesus is with us even to the end of the age, that you don't have to have all the right answers to know who the right answer is, and you don't have to pretend to have everything figured out because you don't want to embarrass yourself in front of a crowd. You could step forth and know that the same God who can provide a miraculous catch of fish is the same God that can open up doors for you to reach people that I will never meet. So the gospel they see is your life and your words, not necessarily what I talk about on a Sunday because they may never step foot through those doors, but you will be the ones to impact them, to witness to them, and to change their lives. You, me, we need to move from the crowd to the called and recognize that's a whole new way of life. So as we close... Are you too tired in your lives? Are you too tired to see how God wants to work? And so if so, what do you need to change? Have you transferred the authority of your boat or of your life over to the master's hands? Are you still holding on to something, thinking that we can do it on our own? And what parts of your life, what are the nets that you are holding on to? That they're starting to break and you're still trying to wash them because you think that I'm always going to do what I've always done, but in the end, I'm always going to get what I've always got. Instead, what does it look like to cast and to be untangled from those nets and to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith? So as we close, we sang the song earlier, the idea of build my life, that I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. That the words of God, the words of Jesus, as Matthew 7 said, if you hear them and you do them, you're building your life upon the firm foundation. That the love of God through Jesus Christ is our firm foundation. 
And that if we recognize Jesus, I don't know how you're going to step into my life. I don't know what you're going to call me to do, but I'm going to step into this new way of life by stepping aside to let you lead and stepping away so that I can go where you have me. If we step into that, we'll follow the example of Peter, but even more so, we'll have a kingdom-wide impact that we will not know about this side of heaven, but one day you'll be able to see it and people will say, hey, thank you for sparing my life for capturing me alive and releasing me. That's not just for professional ministries, that's for all of us, that we could take hold of that new way of life together. Father, we thank you for who you are, and we thank you that you are here in this place, Lord. I pray, God, that as we are closing this morning, that as we look at the story of Peter, you would encourage us, you would challenge us, you would call us to you, and we would hear your calling and that we wouldn't go anywhere you aren't leading, but where you are leading, may we have the courage to go wholeheartedly. So, Father, I pray that you would speak in us, to us, and through us throughout this week, and may we take hold of the life that you have for us and step into it so that we can be the men and women you've called us to become for your kingdom and your glory. We build our lives upon your love alone. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.